Hey guys, welcome to our Sermon of the Week podcast. Today's message is from Nathan Herndon. If you're interested in partnering with us, check out our app or website for ways to give. Good to see everyone today. When someone from the South encourages you to sign up for WIND Conference, you, you, it really has some weight and power to it. So maybe that will work today. <laughs> we'll see. But I, we keep encouraging you. If we didn't believe in what God's going to do at the WIND Conference, that's coming up. We're just a few short weeks away. If we didn't believe in what God was doing or was going to do at the WIND Conference, we would not be investing this much into it. We would not, would not be begging you to sign up. Uh, we would not be encouraging you to take your kids out of school on Friday because whatever's happening in, uh, here, I promise, is going to be better there. Uh, I said that backwards, but you know what I meant. Um, it's going to be good here, guys, and God's going to be touching hearts and lives. Um, you know, if the, if the winds of the Spirit don't blow, we're just a, a ship in the water. And uh, we want to gather together and invite all of our friends. I, I see in years to come, if, if there's other churches that we're partnering with, other ministries that we're partnering with, this is really the hub. The Wind Conference is the hub for all of us to get together, have a family gathering, and hoist our sails and see what God does in our midst. And so that's really what this is. And so I don't want you missing out. And I want you to help us host this and just love on people and greet people and be, be Jesus to people, but be the Providence community to people. And so that's an encouragement. So, so it, you know, Bethany said it the way she did. I'm just saying it, guys. Don't miss this. Please sign up today. It's going to be good. Or, or if you can't come, get a ticket for somebody who, uh, who can and bless them with that. Guys, uh, today uh, we're starting a new series called Parables and Miracles. Tell you what, after last week, I, I was tempted just to spend like the rest of the year on worship. I thought that was, it was a great week uh, to talk about worship, and we always need to do that. We're going to keep talking about it. But I really believe that today uh, we need to begin a series called Parables and Miracles. These are the parables of Jesus and the miracles of Jesus. If, if you don't know what to read in the Bible, begin to read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and begin to uh, let let the Holy Spirit highlight to you the parables that Jesus tells and the miracles that Jesus does. Now, I want to tell you right from the start, this is not going to be a series on how to speak like Jesus or how to do miracles like Jesus, all right? There's, I'm not against that at all, and I want that. But there's a foundation first that you have to understand who God is, what he is like, why does he do what he does, why does he say uh, what he says, and and. And what, what catches his attention when it comes to the miraculous? And so we're going to be, once again, laying a foundation. This is a year for foundations. If we're going to, the, the further we reach, the, the deeper our roots have to go in God. And so that's how we're uh, teaching in these days. So I want us to catch God's heart. I want us to uh, see his character. I want us to see what he's like in this series, Parables and Miracles. If you have your Bible, open them to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. I actually didn't send these verses in today. So if you want to do that in the English Standard Version, Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. I'll be reading those in a moment. But I want to tell you a quick story here as we're getting going. I think many times we, uh, we feel ourselves caught up in a moment. And, and I really, it's interesting that Pastor Philip said that he felt like someone was giving their life to the Lord. Because this, uh, this morning I was feeling the same thing. I feel like at least one person, maybe more, were giving their lives to Jesus this morning. Um, you don't have to walk an aisle and say a sinner's prayer to receive Jesus as your Lord, your 
your Savior and your treasure, all right? Um, that, is, that is not how you get saved. You get saved by putting your faith in Jesus, seeing him for who he is, believing in what he's done, and, 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 uh, and receiving him by faith. And so I believe that people are getting saved this morning. It's really good. Uh, but I believe that many times we, are, uh, we find ourselves in life and we don't really know why we are doing what we're doing or why are, why are we excited about this? I believe that parables and miracles are going to help us. Um, yesterday, uh, my wife Adrian and I took my daughters Grace and Lena to uh, to uh, State College, to Penn State University, main campus there. And we'd never been there before. It was it was beautiful, seventy three degrees, no humidity, uh, partying college students. It was awesome. It was just great. Uh, and we were up there, and we went there to see the, the women's volleyball match. And, and we we ate at the, something like the corner spot, or so. It was it was a cool, a good place to eat. And then we uh, we got um, that we went to the creamery, right, and and got some good. I, it, was, it was a really great time. But uh, we love volleyball. My daughters are both into it. And so we really went there to see the four o'clock volleyball game. And I tell you what, we walked into this facility and uh, we, we were just kind of overtaken with, with how cool it is. The pet band was there. They had like, you know, 30 saxophonists, right? Uh, it, was, it, was, it was wild and the energy and the excitement and all that stuff. And I, I, I noticed like right away, my wife was, was just getting like touched. Like she was crying. She was looking at these, these athletes and these musicians. And she's got this tender heart for the Lord. I think that she was sensing God's call in all these kids' lives, these young people's lives. This is the life of a generation. And they're all great. And she just wanted to tell each one of them, we had to kind of stop her. She wanted to tell each one of them, congratulations, you made it. You're at a D1 college. Good for you. And we're like, Adrian, go hold on, hold on. Well, Adrian somehow got us tickets where we were sitting, uh, where the people who have season passes sit. And um, so we're basically sitting with all the parents of the players. I don't know how we, I don't know how she did this, but she, she walks in an uncommon amount of favor if you get around Adrian. And so we find ourselves sitting in a section that we didn't really belong. And honestly, listen, I, I know that you're going to hate me for this, but we're not really Penn State, you know, enthusiasts. We, we, you know, we're like, cool, yay. Uh, you know, but we don't really follow them really hard. But it was, it was this day was really interesting because we get there and Lena, my youngest daughter, she's wearing Penn State shorts and a shirt. She's got, she's got a Penn State something on and a Penn State scrunchie in her, in her hair. And then uh, my daughters have these Penn State stickers on the corner of their eyes and stuff. Adrian somehow has a Penn State hat on and, and has somehow commandeered one of those, one of those fingers, you know, those foam fingers and she's waving it. We sit down. I'm starting to get nervous because it is really cool, but Adrian is so into the moment. She, uh, she announces to us um, that she's going to be the craziest fan in the gym. All right, not making this up. And we're like, we're like, why? Like, what is it? And she's just man, caught up in the moment. Well, she becomes the craziest fan in the gym. She's staying on her feet. She's screaming. She's waving the thing. Um, and uh, let me just tell you that it, it escalated quickly and the, uh, uh, the camera crew found her. And so suddenly, suddenly Adrian is showing up on the main screen. And, and if Adrian had any more to give, like when she saw that, she gave it. It's just like through the roof. And she's like on her feet. People, here's the parents of the college players. They're like, who is this crazy woman here? I kind of like her, but I'm just not sure. And, and, and we're just like, wow. Well, as we were driving home, um, we were talking about our trip. And we were just saying, hey, what was your favorite thing about the trip? And the girl shared and Adrian shared. And I said, my favorite thing about the trip was seeing Adrian, my wife, your mom, uh, to the girls, just be so happy. And, uh, and, I, and, and the girl said, yeah, and mom, you made it on TV. And Adrian's like, what? 
We're like, no, no, yeah, when you wind up on that big screen there, say at Messiah College, you wind up on the screen. It's just for, the, it's just for this. But, Mom, that, that's like going out at Penn State. And she's like, what? So, so I was so suddenly like we're, we're doing uh, Google searches for uh, crazy mad woman at uh, the volleyball match at, uh, at Penn State. What? Like she's saying this. I, and I really believe, guys, I, I, you know, with all, kind of all jokes aside this morning, I really believe that sometimes you open the Bible. You've heard lots of things. You don't know why you're excited. I really believe that you open the Bible. And sometimes when you actually look at, at why Jesus does what he does or what catches his attention, you, you begin to scratch your head and you say, what? Like, I never knew that. I never saw that. I never believed that before. See, I was just caught up in this Christian thing, but I actually never really, 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 really knew God's heart or why he did miracles, how he saw people, why he told these stories. I was just kind of, I just knew the stuff, but I want to finally see God today, right? Anybody in this camp? I want to finally see God today. And so today, we're going to look at this story in Luke chapter 5, verses verses 1 through 11. We're going to stop scratching our heads saying what, and we're going to say, Jesus, I finally see you here. I feel like it's going to be life-changing for many of us. We're going to be looking at Jesus, and here's what he's doing in Luke chapter 5, is he's calling his disciples into ministry. I believe that there's a call on so many of your lives. So many people have been sensing a call. You do, listen, you don't, know, you don't need to know the details of what it looks like. You just need to say yes to the call. God's going to show you. If you knew what it was going to look like, you would never say yes probably, all right? And so the way that God does this, listen, it's gonna, it's, there's going to be stuff involved. But you need to see Jesus, and you need to say to Jesus, wherever you go, I will go. Whatever you call me to do, I will do. I'll do the dangerous. I'll do the crazy. I'm going to operate in courage. But if, if your heart is in it, I will be there. And that is the kind of situation, the kind of story that we find ourselves in today. In Luke chapter 5, verses uh, 1 through 11, it's one of Jesus' first miracles. Do you know that Jesus, on every page of the, of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, on, on just about every single page, there's a miracle. There's a healing. There's a something. We talk like this stuff doesn't happen anymore, and then we say we want to be a Jesus church. I want us to look at what Jesus actually did, and I want us to evaluate rightly and biblically, Jesus, what are you actually calling us into? And there's a beautiful encounter here in this story. I'm just going to read it to us, and, uh, and let's just prepare our hearts here. It's Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. It says this, On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Genesaret. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a a little from the land as he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into, into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets." And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners uh, in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both the boats, so they began to sink. Uh, Say, that's a lot of fish, all right? Uh, Look at verse 8. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. Look at verse 10. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. 
Look at verse 11. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Whew. What a miracle. There's a lot of stuff happening there. Supernatural stuff happening. Life-changing things happening. But there's four encounters in this story that I want to highlight uh, that I want to highlight here. One in particular, I'm going to save that for the fourth, but I want to build towards this. This fourth encounter is the encounter that everything hangs on, but the other encounters help us get there. And so here's the first encounter that I want to speak to. It's, it's called a, a supernatural encounter. We see this in, in verses four through seven. A supernatural encounter with Jesus. This is, this is when uh, after Simon and James and John and all these professional fishermen had used all of their professional fishing skills all night long, and Jesus says, put out again into the deep and let down your nets. Uh, this is where you see the supernatural encounter. It is supernatural because the disciples see that Jesus is Lord over nature. Where they have to use skill to maybe catch fish, Jesus actually commands fish to swim into nets. All right, so this is a supernatural encounter. When you can tell fish where to swim, you're operating in the land of the supernatural, amen? And this is how Jesus operated. What the disciples could not do in the natural, Jesus could do in the supernatural. He did not, did not have to spend all of his life learning how to fish. He actually, the fish stay alive at his good pleasure. This is the man that these guys are encountering. They're encountering a supernatural Jesus after an entire night of toiling. And this is the word. This is what Peter says to Jesus. We toiled all night. In other words, if you're a professional, every trick we had to convince fish to swim into these nets, we used. All right? We used everything in the natural. How many of us, what, maybe it's our finances or maybe it's our marriage or maybe it's something, but we've done everything we possibly can in the natural. Hey, and, and we have not seen victory. Here's why you need a supernatural solution. For a supernatural solution, you don't just need a man, you need God. And we tried everything. I tried counselors. I tried this. I tried that. Jesus comes on. He says, I I operate in the natural and I bring in the supernatural. The kingdom of God crashes into this earth wherever I operate. It's a supernatural encounter. And after a night of toiling, after using all their best understanding and all the knowledge they had as professionals, here comes Jesus. He says a word, let down your nets, fish swim in. And this is the, this is, it's a supernatural catch. It is the kind of catch I would imagine that a fisherman dreams of catching all of his or her life, supernatural catch. It's sinking boats kind of catch. This is a supernatural encounter with God. Jesus, in an instant, did the supernatural. And so these, these men who are not disciples yet, they're not followers of Jesus yet, but they saw that Jesus has the power to tell fish where to swim. That's a supernatural encounter. Anybody want that? Want a supernatural encounter? I'll be first in that line. I want a supernatural encounter with God. I've noticed, I've noticed that we need more than professionals on the earth. We need, we need those who are believing God for supernatural solutions to actually, listen, supernatural problems. All, so many of the problems that we're facing today, we're trying to throw natural solutions at them, but they're originating in a whole other realm, you see. And we're just trying to 
have the, we're trying to rub oil on it. We're trying to, you know, eat organic and stuff. Like we're, we're, we're trying here, but th- these are, these are supernatural prob- problems. We need a supernatural solution named Jesus. All right. This was an encounter like that. But then there's another encounter. We, we, man, we were on the edge of this encounter this morning. I'm calling it a holy encounter, a holy encounter. You see this in verse eight. When Simon Peter saw it, and the it that Simon saw was the supernatural catch. So it's interesting. Listen, you know what the supernatural does? Is it opens the door to another encounter, a holy encounter. It opens the door to seeing God for who he is. In other words, holy. When Simon Peter saw it, that's the supernatural catch, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me for for I am a sinful man, O Lord. I'm calling this a holy encounter because of this. The word for holy or the holiness means otherliness. So the holiness of God is the otherliness of God. In other words, when you see God, you don't say, man, we're kind of similar, (laughs) Hey, God, like you and I should hang more. Like we're alike. That is not, happens in a, that is not what happens in a holy encounter. You, you are not worthless. You are valuable, but, but you are not God. And when you see God for who he is, something happens where you're like, you are otherworldly, otherrealmly. You are Holy. The otherliness of God. He's in a class by himself. He has no rivals, especially not anybody sitting here. He he has no competition. He is the most valuable, the best in a realm of his own. And when you begin to see God for that and everything else uh, fades away, where you find yourself is at his feet saying, I don't belong. I don't belong around here with you telling fish where to swim and just being chill about it. Just like, just a, no, 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 no. Your holiness shines a light on my sinfulness and I don't deserve you. All right? Gospel presentations that say that Jesus died on the cross because you deserve it are not the gospel. Do you know that the gospel is you don't deserve it? God owed you nothing, not a thing. While you were an enemy of God, and you deserved what enemies get, because you decided, you know, you don't like God, you like yourself, you don't need God, you're going to be God, and you're going to do life your own way. While you were doing life like that, God demonstrated his own love for you, and he sent his son. He sent his son. So here Peter is saying, depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord, and he's encountering God in his holiness and his otherliness and his greatness. His, this is a God with no rivals. I've never known a man like this who tells fish where to, where to swim. He has no competition. And throughout scripture, we see this holiness encounter. We see John the Apostle. I talked about him um, last week when we were looking at the book of Revelation, specifically what, what does worship look like in heaven in Revelation chapter 4 and chapter 5. But John the Apostle in Revelation chapter 1, he's exiled to Patmos. He, has, he receives this revelation. He sees the risen Jesus. This is not the Old Testament Jesus, right? With all, that's Old Testament. He, he was scary back then. Now he's kind of like Santa. No, no, he's not. 
This is the, the New Testament resurrected Jesus has eyes like fire and a sword comes out of his mouth. He's tattooed on his thigh. And, and he is, he is, <laughs> when John the Apostle sees Jesus, he falls at his feet as though dead, the Bible says. So he saw the risen Lord, he falls at his feet as though dead. That's a holiness encounter. Or you get the prophet Isaiah. We were singing this this morning. Uh, Isaiah, listen to Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6. This won't be on the screen, just listen to this. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face. There's the... The first two wings, you cover your face because you can't look on the glory of God. That's interesting. Not even the angels can. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. And one called to another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The prophet Isaiah, after that, guess what he did? He fell at God's feet as though dead. This is something that's missing in the church where we actually see God for who he is and we wind up at his feet, all right? Something, what, how life-changing is this? To actually see God, and we know through the cross that God is not showing up, up to repel us, but to woo us. We know through the cross that he, he loves us though we didn't love him. And he has first loved us. We are wanted by him, but it doesn't negate the fact that he is holy, holy, holy. And when you see him, you almost die. It's not that you see that God is like you, but rather that you see that you are not like him. I think so, there's so much uh, theological push today away from this concept, the holiness of God. And there's almost pressure to see Jesus as a dude just like us. I was watching the commanders last week beat the Cardinals. Uh, and they should have done way better than that. Uh, but, uh, but they still won. I thought that was good. But what kept showing up on the screen, I know I'm going to be hurting people. Uh, but what kept showing up on the screen was commercials about Jesus and all of the stuff was, hey, Jesus struggled too. Hey, Jesus didn't have parents just like you. Hey, Jesus this and Jesus. Jesus was broken like the rest of us. Jesus gets us. I was watching, I was like, hold on, hold on. The Jesus that changed Peter's life was the Jesus that's not like us. The Jesus that changed Isaiah's life was the Jesus that is not like us, so holy. He, he's not, he's not, here he comes. He's not coming down and like, oh yeah, I kind of get you guys. I'm just like, I'm one of the boys. This Jesus is not like us. He is holy, holy, holy. Listen, he understands us, but Jesus is God. He understands us and he cares and he, want, and he, he does lower himself into situations. He, he, he finds us at our deepest, darkest place and he gets us, but it's not because he belongs in those places. It's because though he's great, he's humble. It's though he loves us so much, he's compelled. But he is holy, my friends. And we need a holiness encounter in the church again where we just say, whoa, is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. Listen, let repentance break out again in the church. We, re, re, sin is really choosing anything above and better than God. And God's like, there is none better than me. 
You have to recognize that again. You have to come back to that. That's a holy encounter. But then there's a destiny encounter. I love this one. I think this speaks to a lot of people even in this room. I know it's spoken to me. Look at verse 10. It said to this, now, now Simon is on his knees, at Jesus' knees, on the ground, looking up. And Jesus said to him, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. It's interesting, Jesus never speaks fear. Angels never speak fear. They always speak the opposite of it. Do not fear. Listen, listen, Jesus says, I'm holy, but I don't want you to be afraid of me. I'm for you, I'm not against you. Do not be afraid. And here comes the destiny part. From now on, you will be catching men. Now, what a significant statement that was to Peter. I don't know Peter's background. Didn't know who Peter's dad was or mom was. I don't know if he, you know, I don't know his story. I don't know if he had aunts and uncles and stuff. I don't know if his fishing was a part of the family business. But it is, it is, my, it is my thought that possibly Peter grew up in a fishing home coming from a long line of fishermen his future is fishing. His kids are going to be fishermen and women. That probably the only thing that he thought he was good enough at was fishing, catching fish. That's maybe what he was telling his kids. You're going to be fishermen. It's the family business kind of thing. Do you know that in, in Peter's day, and James's day, and John's day, and in these guys' days, the Pharisees or religious leaders would come out, and they would choose the cream of the crop from the kids, and they'd say, hey, come follow me. And those would become the Pharisees or the priest disciples. In other words, they're saying, you guys are the cream of the crop. The rest of you fish. The rest of you be shepherds. The rest of you do your thing. And it's interesting that Jesus didn't come and make a, a group of people from the cream of the crop. Jesus came to shepherds and then built his team with fishermen. But here Peter is, and he's saying, God, I don't deserve to be in your presence. And God, what, what Jesus does is he says, he speaks a different destiny over Peter's life. And he says, Peter, I know that you, you think that fishing is the only thing that you've got going. It's the only way that you know to pay the bills. It's the only life that you know to have. But I'm telling you, I'm giving you a different future. From now on, you will be catching men. What an encounter, guys. There's a lot going on here for Peter on so many levels. Maybe, maybe here's, here's Peter, and maybe he's, he's first offended at Jesus telling him how to fish. Like, who are you? You just talk to people. You don't know. And now he's, he's overwhelmed by the catch, and he's like, who is this? And now I find myself at his feet, and now he's scared by who Jesus actually is. But now Jesus is calling Peter into a future that he never even thought could happen. I can't catch people. I'm a fisherman. I'm sure all those lies jumped up into Peter's mind. I can't do this. What are you even talking about? This is crazy. Let me go back to the, the comfortable life that I knew before this moment, to what, what I know life actually is. But here Jesus is calling Peter into a future that he never thought he could walk in. Jesus is calling Peter into a new uh, future that I believe Jesus actually wired Peter for. I believe that, that in Peter's mother's womb, he wired him to catch. To catch. So Peter's using that wiring to catch fish. And Jesus is like, no, this is what I wired into you. you you've, been, you've, been cat, you've been settling for the scraps of your wiring. 
I've wired you to catch people, Peter. I've wired you for a future that you could never ask or imagine. This is a destiny encounter when you encounter God and, and he tells you who you're going to be, not who you thought you could be. Who you can be, not who you can't be. How many of us have had encounters with people on this planet? Natural encounters, but they're more like curses. You'll never be this. You'll never amount to anything. You'll never, you'll never, you'll never. That's not how Jesus operates. He, he busts on to Peter's day onto Peter's scene and says, I know you've thought that this would be it for you, but I am activating my dreams into your heart. You're going to be a fisher of men. Jesus is spinning a whole new outlook, the whole new uh, perspective. He's giving a God dream, and he's saying, Peter, I don't care what the other people have said. I don't care what your dad said, your uncles have said, your wife has said, your kids have said. I don't care what you have said. I don't care what the enemy has said. I don't care what, what people in the marketplace have said. I don't care what other fishermen have said. I want you to care about what I'm saying to you. I'm going to use you in a way that's going to change destinies for other people. This is a destiny encounter, guys. This is, you, there's more for you than the family business. There's more, there's more, there's more. I have a future for you that is unimaginable. Jesus is speaking this into Peter. Now, all these beautiful encounters, man, we see and we see the supernatural encounter, we see the, the destiny encounter, we see the holy encounter. These are all great, but what they are unto, what they're pointing at, is the fourth encounter. And the fourth encounter is the encounter that the church needs so desperately, but has lost. Man, we've lost this, and we've lost any of them. It's this one that I'm about to share with you. It's a, it's a beautiful encounter, and I just say, just prepare your heart to receive it right now. I'm suggesting that pointing to what I'm calling a treasure encounter is, is, is the foundation to all of these, and that's, that is what these three encounters are pointing at right here. All right, look at uh, Luke chapter 5, verse 11. When they had brought their boats to land, and now remember, they're, they're bringing their boats to land almost, almost drowned, all right? They've almost lost their boats because of the record catch of fish. So they finally get these boats to land. When the boats land, they have zillions of dollars on the shore. Think about this. They have, they have more fish than they have ever seen. Their dream of fishing is, is, now, is now there before their eyes on the beach. But when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Whew. Wow. I, I don't think that we, we, we read the Bible and we're like, that's nice, that's nice, that's nice. That's not nice. You're leaving what you've worked for your whole life, what you've been promising your wife for, what you've been you're telling, hey, I'm going to, there's a catch out there, kids. And when I do that, I'm going to get the bike you want. When I do that, son, I'm going to get the car you want. Hey, we're, I'm going to provide for you. This catch of fish came with its own set of promises. And you bring these boats to land, there's a ton of promises in those boats, one with every fish. These boats to land, they come with a record catch of fish. And do you know what the record catch of fish promises? Just, you know, a job, financial security, future, stability, dreams realized. This catch of fish is right there, right in front of their faces. There's more than enough to divide between the three of them or more. 
We, we can, there's, there's probably when the, when the wives and the kids see this coming in, there's rejoicing, there's tambourines, there's like, hallelujah, I knew God was good. Look what he's done for me, for us. Wow, finally, the, the provision that we've been aching for is, is right at our fingertips. It's a once in a lifetime thing, guys. And when they get to land and they see the once in a lifetime thing, full of all of its own promises, and they see that. And then they look to a man who operates in the supernatural, who tells these fish where to swim, who is so holy that they just want to die at his feet, and that, who spoke a different destiny over them than they ever heard. Their heart is, is unlocked in some way. That you know what they want more than the catch of fish with all of its promises? is the man named Jesus with all of his. Think about how, this, I'm calling this a treasure encounter. How does this happen? You walk away from, a, from the, the, the future, from the stability, from the jobs. You don't care what anybody else says. You just see what you've been working your whole life for, and then you see a man that you just met, and you want him over all of it. Guys, this is a treasure encounter. These boats contained what the men were seeking their entire lives, but they didn't know that walked into the boat, the one who walked into the boats was the one who actually made their entire lives. Here's, there's, there's the otherliness of Jesus. There's, they're seeing him as a greater treasure. Listen, they're seeing Jesus as a greater treasure than all of the smaller promises that they could have in this world. That is what's happening here. And this is why in The Chosen, when they also get the fish, I'm like, you're ruining this story. Amen. You're ruining this story. It never says that in the Bible. The, the beauty of this story is the, the natural stuff is far less great than the supernatural Jesus. He is better than that. He is greater than that. Here's the otherliness of Jesus. He's the, the miracle. Listen to this. I really believe that what the Bible says is that the miracle was done to be walked away from. Showing that Jesus is greater than the supposed provision. Do you see this? You read the Bible. This was only walked away from as far as we know. The miracle was done to be walked away from. This is when you... When you when you dig into scripture, you see that when Jesus calls someone to follow him, this is what he constantly does. He, con he constantly uh, invites people to, uh, you know, like you think of the, the, the rich young ruler who comes and he just wants to get to heaven. Good teacher, how do I get to heaven? Jesus goes and says, sell all of your false idols and come follow me. And you find out that the guy didn't want Jesus. He wanted his stuff. He wanted his idols. He, didn't want to, he wanted to be able to have all of his worldly cares and then also be able to go to heaven. But Jesus is like, no, that's not how it works. That's not how it works. You've got to want me. Following Jesus, guys, listen to this. Here's the treasure encounter. Is the treasure encounter is when you see Jesus as more. In fact, I would say this is when you see Jesus as most. Most valuable most satisfying, most beautiful, most wanted, more than anything else. Following Jesus is seeing him as the treasure, not a treasure. Not Jesus got a top 10 list and hey, lucky for you, you're on it. This is seeing Jesus 
as everything. This is why we say in a Jesus church, listen, a Jesus church is, listen, I'm going to listen to the whole thing. A Jesus church is not the people that know how to do what Jesus did, all right? That is the fruit of a Jesus church. The heartbeat of a Jesus church, so says the scriptures, is the people that want Jesus over everything else. And that's what the miracles flow out of. You don't figure out how to do what Jesus did before you want him over everything else. This is what's holding us back from the miraculous more than anything. We want, we want seven easy steps to walk in the miraculous when we don't even want Jesus more than anything. And the treasure encounter where we see Jesus and we want him. When, you, when Jesus comes to us, what do you want? What do you want? Do you want me? Or do you want the fish? The fish are going to give you maybe a more comfortable life. But that life will be over. What do you really want, my friends? Jesus himself or the, the stuff that he provides? Man, this is the question. And my concerns for the church stem from this. I, I believe that we lack power because we present a gospel message where Jesus is the tool to get what you really want. You just use him. But I, I'm, I haven't seen many people obsessed with their hammer, all right? That what, what they love is what their hammer built, right? Jesus isn't just used. He's the goal. He's the goal. He's the goal, not just a tool. He's the way, yes, and the truth, and the, he is everything. You can't get there without him. And when you get there, he's the one, you see. He's the goal. He is the good. The good news is not that you go to heaven. The good news is that you're reconciled to God. You get God. That is the good news, my friends. Have you never heard that before? <laughs> Probably if you flip on the TV, you don't. It's, the gospel is, if you want to go to heaven, be with your Aunt Sally. Pray this prayer. Invite Jesus into your heart. Oh, oh so it's magic. No, it's not. And the gospel is so much more than this, guys. When Peter, James, and John are fa faced with a rector catcher following Jesus, they want Jesus. And that is the mark of a Jesus church. I talked to you about Mark chapter 10 with a rich young ruler. And the real question that Jesus is, is asking is, uh, do you want me? It's not, do you know how to get to heaven? It's not it. And in fact, when Jesus' disciples asked, how do we know how to get to where you're going? He says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. If you know me, you know how to get there. So the real question is, do you want me? I think many times in a situation like this, on a Sunday morning like this, many of us will say, yeah, we want you. We want you. But when the rubber hits the road and you start looking like a freak to the culture, and you start being canceled by the culture and you lose your job because I don't want a Jesus freak working in this company. I don't want this or that. I then, I then begin to, to wonder, like, do, do, we, do, we, do we really want Jesus? When our name starts being plastered in the streets, when, when this happens, do we really want Jesus? We're going to get in the weeks to come the parable of the seed and the sower, but many times the word of God doesn't take root because we don't really want it to. What we really want is ease or what we really want is carefree living. And Jesus is like, do you want me? Even as a parent for me, this, uh, this is pretty wild for me. I, I, when you're faced with, do I want kids that are polite in public, or do I want kids that are, are, are a wildfire in public, love sick in public? 
Do I want a wife that's polite in public or do I want a wife that's crying over Penn State students on TV? Guys, this is when it gets wild. I remember I was on vacation once and my little daughter Lena was just a few years old and she saw a whole room full of people at this place called the Orange Blossom Cafe where you get these apple uglies. They're the size of a football. You die after eating them, but they're, they're worth it, all right? <laughs> they're so good. And we were getting these apple uglies and Lena at three years old sees a room full of people that need Jesus. She stands on a chair and she starts singing, Jesus loves me over the whole crowd. My son's like, Dad, make her stop. Adrian and I are looking at each other. The kids are like confused. The people don't know if they should, you know, if they should be angry or what. But they start joining in and clapping. They start singing with her. And then she, then she medleys it into We Will Rock You. And the whole place goes wild. It's like, yes. Woo, yes. But guys, I'm telling you what. If you want a Jesus family, you've got you've to be okay with your kids releasing Jesus on the world. And it might not look like manners. You don't get them off the, off the chair and say, we don't do that around here. What? Release your heart on the world, kids. Let them know about the one who saved you. See, the, these, this is a Jesus church. When, when manners don't win your heart. When Jesus does. And you're just going to look counter culture. Man, that's what I want. More and more, what do you? What do you, I just want you to ask your heart here just for a moment. What do you really want? Do you want Jesus? And if the, if the answer to that is, I don't think I do, let this be a day where your heart has changed. A holiness encounter, supernatural encounter, a destiny encounter, but a treasure encounter where your heart is finally convinced Jesus is worth it all. He is better than the best. He is everything. He is everything. Let me just pray that over you here. If, if you want that, just in your own way, just tell God you want it. Man, God, we want to want this. Maybe some of us can only say that. God, I want to want this. I want to want you, God. Would you, would you work with my heart? God, just pray for the people that have gathered this morning. And Lord, and as, we just, as we just do battle with this, we're really doing a battle with our own hearts, God. Our hearts are so prone to want the lesser instead of the greater. So I just pray supernaturally, oh God, that you would reach into our hearts and that you would give us new ones, ones that you promised to give. New hearts, write your, your heart on these new hearts, God. Just tell the Lord that you want that new heart. Man, this is really what faith is. This is receiving Jesus. This is treasuring him. It's agreeing with him. It's receiving him. And Lord, we die to the small and we receive you. We're sorry for every way that we've dishonored you with lesser lovers. And we receive you today, Jesus, as our treasure. We just bless you. We just say, Jesus, we love you. We love you. We love you. We just love you. We love you. We love you. We bless you. Thanks for checking out our Sermon of the Week. If you have questions or would like to get connected, download our app or visit us at providencecommunity.org. Thank you.